News, politics, and special guests with a Texas twist. That's the goal of the Luke Messias Show. Our nation and state are at a crossroads, and if you're not informed, you're not equipped to make the change our community needs. Join the conversation and join the cause for liberty today. Welcome to episode 145 of the Luke Messias Show. Today we have a discussion. What time is it? What time do we live? Um, I got together with two friends, Nate Fisher and Saurabh Sharma. Uh, Saurabh happened to be in Dallas, who now is in uh, Washington, D.C. You'll meet both of these men here momentarily. Uh, But I think the conversation is timely. As we're kind of closing the end of the year, I wanted to get a little bit less onto the day-to-day politics and a little bit more into uh, just a mindset of the type of battles that we're currently fighting. Often when I find myself disagreeing with other Republicans or other people who consider themselves conservatives. I think the disagreements we have is that we see ourselves in different times. And so that's today's conversation that I'm bringing to you. Sarab kind of got his political start in Texas, is now doing some stuff in D.C., and Nate has come to Texas to engage more into the political process. So I think both of these men are applicable to our listeners, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Well, welcome, Sarab, Nate. I'll give you all a second to introduce yourself here in just a minute. But uh, this is a conversation that I guess we've been talking about having for just a little while. Um, over a year. <laughs> uh, over a year, definitely. Um, Sarab, uh, why don't you tell people? So so let's uh, kind of give our, our viewers and listeners a little bit of a background of, um, of what we're going to accomplish today. Um, Nate, you are somebody who uh, spent a lot of time in other places that were not Texas and have made a conscious decision to be a Texan for a reason. Uh, and Sarab, you are somebody who was in Texas and really got your start in the political process in Texas and has now decided to go to D.C. and uh, try to tackle some challenges that we have there. I uh, We individually and together have had numerous conversations about the battles that we are currently engaging in, the time we're in. Um, the conflicts that are arising and the shifts that are going on amongst the electorate at large, amongst the culture at large, and just all sorts of things. So I think, uh, figured since we were in kind of a Thanksgiving break and Saurabh happened to be in town, we'd be able to sit down and just talk a little bit about that. So Saurabh, why don't you just give um, our listeners just a little bit of your background? Sure. Well, thank you for having me on, Luke. I'm a many-time listener, first-time guest, I guess. Um I've lived all over the country. I was not born in the United States, uh, moved here when I was three months old and hopped everywhere and then came to Texas when I was uh, in high school. And Texas was the best place I've ever lived. Um, I liked Texans a lot more than I've liked people anywhere else I've ever lived. Um, And uh, they've had a lot of influences on me, uh, many religious influences, political influences, um, personal influences. But Point being, I spent seven years in Texas between Dallas and Austin mostly. I went to UT, um, kind of caught the bug for for politics, realized that Texas was not being governed by people who were doing what they said they would do. Um, so I got involved with a group called Young Conservatives of Texas that I love to this day that basically made it its race on Detra to cause a lot of problems for Republicans that uh, would simply go to Austin to be part of that swamp, but not really do anything and defend the state that they claim to represent and, and certainly yeah. not defend the constituents that they claim to represent. Um, moved up through that organization fairly quickly, ended up being their youngest state chairman ever. Um, felt like I, I did right by it, grew it, and then um, 
was ready to wrap up my time in the political space, retire, maybe go to law school or something. And then I, I had the idea for, for the organization I now run, American Moment. Um, and uh, through a set of fever dreams in a wild few months in tw early 2020, when I had a little too much time on my hand because of the pandemic, I uh, decided to found this. And we've now enjoyed nine months of, of public existence, building an organization whose mission is to basically make sure that what happened to President Trump, where he had a... Uh, set of political appointees that he put inside uh, the federal government's bureaucracy that undermined him every single day for four years uh, to make sure that never happens again. Um, and it's a problem that exists when we elect conservative presidents. It's a problem that exists when we elect conservatives members of Congress. And it's a problem that exists at all those conservative nonprofits that send you mail for money mm -hmm. um, every, every other week or so. Uh, we don't have a cadre of competent, uh, deeply conservative, uh, morally uh, aligned uh, you know, young people, but also old people um, uh, that are implementing the public policy that people keep on voting for. And that's what American Moment exists to do. And uh, unfortunately, that means I have to spend a little bit of time away from Texas, but I, I try to come down here as a, as often as I can. Yep. I, I ran into Nate at an event on Friday night and he was like, what are you how are you always here? It's like, because I look for any excuse I can <laughs> to, come to, to come to Texas because uh, I miss it dearly. So you were accepted in law school. Yes, I was deposited to go. I did not get that deposit yeah. back. <laughs> At a relatively well-respected law school. Yeah, a couple of them, yeah. Yeah, um, and, uh, and decided to not do that. When you made that decision, was American Moment already something you knew you were going to do or was it, I'm not going to do this and now... I'll start to think about American moment was something that I was convinced I was going to do whether or not anyone else was convinced of it was very much an open question at the point yeah. at which I dropped out because um, yeah. we had the idea in April and uh, July is usually when you have to make your final decision when it comes to law school and yeah. uh, uh, we, we were not ready in July I'll tell you that yeah. um, uh, we weren't really ready in November either it really yeah. only things came together we got we raised the kind of alpha we needed in order to create the organization um, ran payroll for the first time in December of 2020. Um, yep. And uh, uh, so it was definitely a leap of faith. Um, very, very glad that uh, that was the one time, I think, in the last 20 years where you could have done as much from uh, a webcam as uh, you could have uh, building an organization like this. Everything just kind of happened to yep. confluence at the right time. Yep, absolutely. So Nate, uh, give, give just our listeners, our viewers, just a little bit of your background. Sure. So I... Uh... I've only lived in Texas a little bit over three years. So my background is I grew up in upstate New York uh, and kind of a country area of New York. I was homeschooled all 12 years, mm -hmm. uh, very non-traditional at that time, especially. It was yep. really in the early days of homeschooling. Yep. Uh, grew up fairly politically interested, politically conservative, uh, but in college, really, uh, I did a summer program in D.C. and really became convinced at the time that uh, politics was a place where uh, there was no reward, in a sense, for uh, non-consensus but correct views. It was really the place where sort of Mitt Romney-type careerist types would, would just climb their way to the top. And I had no interest in that. So I really just shifted my entire mindset to investing at that point. I knew mm -hmm. that investing, if, you're, uh, if you take a non-consensus view and you're correct, you can get rewarded yeah. uh, very well for that. So I uh, still went, went to law school. Uh, it made sense uh, given that path. Uh, again, no, no intention of practicing law, but as a path to investing, path to distress investing. I graduated in 2010, which happened to be a, a great time for distress investing. investing. Yes. <laughs> I partnered with a classmate, moved to Florida to start buying distressed real estate. And again, not 
uh, the focus was less the real estate than it was the the broad macro thesis that here's a uh, out of favor uh, opportunity and uh, a big move here made a lot of sense for demographic reasons, uh, a lot of reasons. Uh, helped build a company there. We bought uh, 7,000 apartments in a few years. And uh, as that trade matured, stepped out of it. So I uh, stayed uh, focused on business, spent some time traveling, spent some time really understanding, uh, getting a global perspective, broadening uh, an investment perspective, uh, did some uh, stuff in technology. I lived in San Francisco for two years, which yep. I knew was never going to be home. Uh, and, and around this time, my uh, my old hypothesis, realized my old thesis about politics was no longer true. It was around the time that Trump uh, Trump uh, was campaigning and then won. And uh, first off, California showed me very, very clearly just how uh, badly we needed someone like Trump, someone who was uh, taking a uh, very different and much uh, more serious approach to the threat of the left. Uh, something that was easy to not, it was, it was easy to sort of miss that in a red state. I was in Florida in fairly conservative circles. Uh, but once I got there, it became very clear just how dystopian uh, many of this leadership class was. The other thing that became clear was uh, it was no longer true that the Mitt Romney types dominated politics. Yeah. And it was clear that in a sense they were being pushed to the side and uh, politics was in a state of paradigm shift that really was uh, rewarding the non-consensus, rewarding the ideas that mattered uh, and were correct in important ways. And so started... Uh, shifting my attention to politics and to media, in a sense, as uh, around the the message, around an opportunity of really betting on a message. Uh, I looked at several opportunities uh, in technology. I uh, did some stuff there, and then then decided to move to Texas. And my reasons for Texas, I had no ties to the state, mm -hmm. no ties to the area. It yep. was really just looking around the country and deciding where I wanted to move. I had two kids at the time. I had a third mm -hmm. on the way, and now I have a fourth. I uh, just had a fourth a couple months ago. But uh, it was a decision to go long on Dallas. I moved or moved to Dallas, go long mm -hmm. there, both uh, great place to raise a family, mm -hmm. uh, great place to build a business, uh, ultimately great place to build a life. And uh, that's become more and more clear as I've gotten more and more politically involved. Uh, so I moved mm -hmm. there in uh, summer of 2018 and uh, also started uh, continuing to do sort of a range of investments, but at that point really moved into uh, the political space, which I'm continuing to do largely from a business perspective, but uh, partnered with Matt Peterson, mm -hmm. who's a uh, co-founder uh, or he's the founder of the American Mind. Uh, on the business side, partnered with uh, Bart Lamont, uh, who is uh, has a background in business uh, and politics. And uh, what we're doing at New Founding is we are Broadly, it's a media and investment company uh, built around a recognition that the entire world is becoming politicized. Mm -hmm. All aspects are li of life are politicized. It's not limited to the traditional governmental domain. Yep. And increasingly, those are the most important macro trends of our day. They're the ones that are really driving uh, tens of millions of dissatisfied Americans to recognize the threat posed to their way of life uh, by corporations that hate them. Uh, so the media uh, ultimately is presenting a meaningfully different and better way of life. Uh, I think the right needs to present a, a great vision of what an alternative life looks like. Then we have uh, media like the Align Newsletter, which is uh, a weekly newsletter that just gives you a, a profile of a business to teach you how to buy from a company that doesn't hate you. Mm -hmm. uh, very basic step, little steps you can do. 
Uh, we have a publication coming out uh, called Return, which is tech focused and how to mm -hmm. live as a human in the digital age. Mm -hmm. Again, really a vision of of what life can look like in a world that is rapidly changing. And then the broader uh, part of new is that going to be pushing like metaverse increased activity or decreased activity? What's your general? So I'll, I'll, it's a little more complicated than that, because I think that digital is changing the world. And I think a lot yep. of conservatives instinctively reject uh, the nature of digital transformation. They they want to move. They want to isolate from technology, mm -hmm. uh, yep. whether you want to or not, whether you even limit it for yourself and your kids or not, your world is being shaped by yep. it. So uh, ultimately, uh, the problem, the people who are shaping it right now have a uh, extremely dystopian view of, of life. Mm -hmm. I mean, if you had to pick anyone who uh, could architect a uh, human world, it is not going to be Mark Zuckerberg. Yep. And uh, so the key is how do you continue to live well as a human in this digital age? Yep. And that ties into a lot of the broader stuff we're doing at New Founding, which is uh, building what we call a digital commonwealth. It's a new kind of network designed for the good of its members. Mm -hmm. So uh, not a radical concept. Uh, if you think of the nature of political communities, mm -hmm. that's the purpose of political communities. Mm -hmm. uh, but it, it seems very different than when you think of most of the networks that Silicon Valley is creating that either are sort of inherently purposeless, uh, perhaps extractive, uh, effectively mm -hmm. Facebook selling you digital opium, which addicts you, uh, but has very little concept of a good or a purpose that it's advancing uh, for you and almost uh, sort of uh, almost dogmatically takes has taken a sort of libertarian view that uh, it's not going to take a stand on any sort of mm -hmm. good or bad. So uh, as digital changes, uh, ultimately, the most important thing we can do is we can organize people digitally into networks that are actually conducive to their good and are governed toward their good. And that's the broader purpose where the media provides that vision of life. It draws people. Mm -hmm. uh, we build a commercial ecosystem that's going to bring together and leverage their economic power uh, and then ultimately use the power of digital networks to connect them in ways that uh, they can help realize that vision of life, help people who are drawn to that vision of life. Uh, Americans, ultimately, it's going to be built around real culture, real human uh, ways of life rather than, as you say, some sort of uh, abstract and transhuman metaverse uh, mm -hmm. vision, uh, help Americans uh, live a good life uh, online. So that's uh, that's the broader vision. Now we have other things like Firebrand, which is a media super PAC, really in some ways another media effort. Uh, you could think of the lifestyle as presenting a vision that uh, draws people. Firebrand is a... Uh, uh, it's going to be something that speaks on behalf of these people. There's a lot of people who really want a champion who will speak on their behalf, say what they want to say, yep. uh, engage in the political world on their behalf. And that that's going to be announced. Uh, we're going to you're going to see something very soon around that. So there's sort of a number of projects uh, related to that. There's one called American Reformer, which is a nonprofit really restoring a traditional view. I started this with Aaron Wren and a few mm -hmm. others. Uh, ben yep. Dunson's the editor. Uh, and that's restoring a traditional uh, Protestant, uh, Protestant political and cultural thought, which formed the foundation of a lot of our country. It's largely been lost. Uh, many of the evangelical churches today don't understand that. Mm -hmm. And as a result, you get evangelical leaders who are drastically out of step with, uh, they're drastically out of step with their base. They're drastically out of step with the American tradition and with the American spirit and with their own historical uh, theology. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's, uh, that's a problem because we have a very rich tradition that has shaped our country. And if we are going to 
restore our country, we need to uh, have that deeply grounded in truth, in theological truth that is uh, helping uh, lay out uh, what a proper vision of government is. So that's that's an important project, uh, really, as a guide and and also as something to help uh, restore uh, re- restore a lot of what's been lost in the church and what constitutes a key uh, key segment of American society. Um, so one of the reasons I wanted to bring kind of the two of y'all together is I think that all of us have a different perspective. We all actually operate in quite different worlds at times, but our worlds seem to overlap in many different areas and arenas. Um, with those different perspectives and the current environment we're in, I think it's helpful sometimes to have on occasion some conversations about just like, again, I think I said, what time is it? What are the times that we're living in? Because the times we're living in today are different than the times we were living in two years ago, 10 years ago, and continue to go back. So Sarab, how would you, if you were to just answer that question, what what are the times we're living in? What time is it right now? What, what would you say? I think that there's no way to understand politics better than what are the threats that, you know, the good, the true, and the beautiful are facing at any point in time. So what's not different is the things that we fight for. You know, in the Reagan era, we fought for families. We fought for the United States as a nation. We fought for uh, prosperity. We fought for these, you know, time-tested values that we mm-hmm. know we care about. Um the things that have changed since the Reagan era are the threats that we face. And I think there's basically three existential ones facing the country right now. Um, and, and you could quibble about, you know, are there more than this? But but I put them in three broad buckets. One um, is what's happening to American families. Um, people are not getting married and they're not having children. Um, that can seem like, a, oh, that's just a statistic on the page. No, your civilization will die if you don't have kids and you aren't getting married. Um, both on its own terms, if people don't have children, um, then all of you know the way that your economy is structured to work starts mm-hmm. to fall apart and fail. Um, but also because uh, human flourishing relies on people uh, having families and having children. That is core. It is endemic to the human condition. And what we're rapidly barreling towards is basically an experiment with uh, you know the American people, where you know you're heading towards a country here in the next twenty years where you're going to have. The majority of, say, women over the age of 40 are going to be unmarried, childless. They're going to be addicted to SSRIs. Um, They're going to have way too much disposable income. They're going to have five cats, and they're going to be angry against a society that's failed them. Meanwhile, all the men in American society are going to be too addicted to porn, weed, and video games to do anything about it. That is a dystopia, and that's one that we should really, really focus ourselves on reversing. That can be considered the broad bucket of kind of the purview of the social conservative, but it has implications far beyond the traditional issues of abortion and religious liberty that we think about. It has implications for what we're doing economically to support families. It has implications for everything from immigration policy to foreign policy and so on. So family formation is a massive crisis facing us. The second is is that we have no sense of national solidarity at all. There is no consensus view on what it means to be an American. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, some people might be like, well, you know, that's fine. People will live their way and I'll live my way and, and that's fine. But guess what? The other side is not interested in letting you live and let live. Yeah. They will impose a way of life on you. And so the question is, which way of life is going to be imposed on the United States? Is it going to be a dystopian, globalist, totalitarian vision of life? Or is it going to be an American way of life? Um, Don't tread on me. 
loses to silence is violence every single time. Mm -hmm. The left says silence is violence. The right says don't tread on me. I think that's not enough in this day and age. Um, And the last challenge we face is the threat of alternatives to the United States that are existing, um, both in terms of uh, transhuman, transnational entities. Um, you know what digital life has the ability to do to nations, to societies is is untested and and vast. But also, um, a more traditional nation in the form of China is going to um, basically go around the world this century and say, um, you know, would you rather be ruled by you know blue blue haired feminists in the United States that are going to use all the power that you know the United States hegemon has to tell you that you have to fly the pride flag over your country that you know uh, you have to teach critical race theory in your schools and and so on and so forth um, or uh, would you like to come with us the Chinese and maybe we'll build you a port and so we're gonna live this century in a world where United States hegemony is going to be very seriously threatened and for good reason and so those are the three crises that I think are facing us and so um, the challenge that I think we have on the right in the United States and in the conservative mm-hmm. movement is that we've been operating off of both a policy and a tactical playbook um, that is for a very different time. Um, when the conservative movement was created in the 60s and 70s, it was operating in America where ordinary people um, were still in charge of a lot of institutions and where the threats that faced us were fundamentally different. Now, Uh, We face in America where all of the greatest heights of institutional life, whether it's government, whether it's culture, whether it's business, whether it's finance, whether it's media, all have a totalitarian vision um, that, that does extraordinary damage to ordinary people on a daily basis. That requires very different tactics than live and let live. You have to take an almost like Leninist approach when it comes to institutions like this. And you have to be willing to to, to not be polite and to not um, be constrained in your imagination about what needs to happen to fix it. And so what I'll often say to, to many libertarians, and I know that there's a lot of them in Texas who are libertarian-minded people, is that you have to be a lot more comfortable with the one institution that the right does have the capability to still win, which is uh, government. We still can win elections. We're not at anywhere close to actually taking over Hollywood, and we're not anywhere close to uh, uh, having the business world at this point in time. So we can occasionally win elections. What are we doing with it? And how are we using the power that the American people and the rights base constantly entrusts to us to go after the power centers that the left has accumulated so much power in? How do we use um, the the tools we have to go after the universities? How do we use it to go after the media? How do we use it to go after big tech and restore some semblance of a society where ordinary people have a say over their lives? Tax cuts aren't going to cut it. I uh, I actually always like taking it to, to the next step to just remind people it's not just that we as conservatives don't act, you know, are, don't have any plans to take over the university or K through 12. We actually have financially rewarded the people creating the socialists into the next generation. I mean, in Texas, we've consistently increased the budget for higher education. We literally got a bunch of money from the feds and turned around and gave billions of dollars to Texas A&M and UT while UT is having studies being done about how to introduce critical race theory to four-year-olds and Texas A&M is putting on a drag queen story hour, actually like a massive drag queen event in their stadium. And we're going, great, here's $3 billion more billion. So it's not even just that we haven't taken over these institutions. It's like the people that tell you they want to fight for you 
actually are giving more power to the people yeah. that hate you and are working against you. And it goes even further than that, right? Like, let's take even narrower example. Oh, we should fund civics education. Oh, who could oppose civics education? Guess what? If you pass a clean civics education bill in the Texas legislature today, that money is going to be allocated to civics education. It's not going to be what you think about. It's not going to be Liberty Kids. It's going to be the 1619 Project. Yep. That's what's going to be taught. And even if it's not 100% the 1619 Project, it's still going to be 70% the 1619 Project. And you're going to be basically underwriting that crazy red-haired woman at the New York Times to teach white children that they're racist and evil. That's what's going to happen. So, Nate, one of the things Sarah brought up was this idea that there is no longer a shared identity. And... Um, you know, 9-11 was recent. And of course, every time that happens, you watch the video of George W. Bush throwing the pitch out and, uh, you know, Yankee Stadium and all these different things. And it it really does kind of remind you of this time where there were certain things that would bring just general national unity um, and that in general, our culture was more united at the time our, as a nation, I would say at, at then as compared to now. And I think that kind of plays into some of the things that you're doing at New Founding. So uh, where do you see the country not, you know, when it comes to just the divisions and then in in a sense, like the tribalism that starts getting created, because to some extent you're almost saying, yeah, that's happening. So now we need to create these ecosystems within that. But where do you think the nation is today compared to where it was 10 years ago when it comes to the tribalism and just the lack of just national unity in general? So I'll, uh, my sense with you is that it's uh, gotten far more divided. On the other hand, I think that uh, to a large extent, the internet has revealed a lot of divisions that existed for a long time. And in many cases, uh, traditional media just heavily, and this includes uh, gatekeepers on the right, heavily, heavily filtered what we're allowed to see to the point that I think there were festering, uh, there was a lot of festering discontent that was uh, just not talked about. Mm. And uh, so it's hard for me to, I would say it's hard for me to read uh, how much, uh, I mean, I think even the Tea Party, the original Tea Party uh, was certainly, there there was an element of, not wanting tax increases and sort of mm-hmm. the, the traditional conservative issues. But I think there was a lot more in terms of cultural discontent there mm-hmm. that was uh, pretty quickly co-opted or, or pushed to the side, yep. uh, but suggested <clears throat> that there was a, a massive dissatisfaction uh, at that time uh, already. So to uh, some extent uh, on that real quick, because I've always argued, and I don't think I even really thought this way until several years after Trump got elected in 2016, that you had that rise of the Tea Party and you had the Senate Conservatives Fund. You had all these different conservative organizations basically jumping in and trying to help elect. And there became these, this civil war within the Republican Party, which went really well. That was actually early in my political career. So we were running a ton of campaigns and succeeding in a lot of those campaigns. And then the establishment began winning more elections kind of right before Trump. And there was this period of time where it almost seemed like, oh, they've kind of co-opted this enough. But what they didn't see, and honestly, what a lot of the conservative entities within that didn't see was that the discontent that did pop up there in 2010 was actually still festering. And all of a sudden, Trump gave them this outlet to, you know, kind of release that anger on and ended up paying dividends for them because they really did then feel rewarded with somebody who understood more than anybody else actually how they felt. 
Exactly. I mean, I think the discontent uh, and whether it's division in the same sense may have been different, but I think there is a uh, a significant discontent and it's really been growing for, for a while that our leadership class is totally failing us. It's extractive. Uh, they build the, I mean, following, uh, following the financial crisis, they bail themselves out uh, at massive expense to the country mm-hmm. uh, with very few penalties. Uh, they're stealing our country from us. And I think immigration has always been a powerful issue with the base just Mm -hmm. this vast gap between what the leadership feels and what the base feels Mm -hmm. uh where where they recognize that our leaders are uh are stealing the country from us they're intentionally uh diluting american culture they're intentionally trying to uh divide us culturally and really uh really eliminate anything that is uh uh that is distinctly american and mm. obviously that's become far more overt with things like the 1619 project uh with a lot of stuff the left is forcing us on us with them literally taking down statues of uh thomas jefferson today i think yep. came up the one that was yep. uh, never going to happen by the yep, uh, fact absolutely. checkers even last year so <laughs> I, but i think that people have people have recognized that they've recognized that, that, that at the least they didn't care about america I uh, even going back to the 2000s, mm-hmm. uh, but it's become much more of our, I would say the uh, the Internet has really revealed a lot of these divides. It's, it's helped people uh, coalesce around uh, uh, what might have been vaguer discontent around sort of a clearer picture of what's happening. So uh, it has grown and this really does. Uh, I, I think the digital transformation uh, in, in some ways has just uh it's made clear that the uh, you could say sort of the 20th century consensus or liberal neutrality is just not a viable uh, it's not a viable option for Mm -hmm. society. And it probably has a lot of contradictions in it, uh, a lot of hidden divisions that uh, won't survive in a digital age. So that that gets to I would say that's the most fundamental uh, uh, factor that is is important to recognize what time is in in this digital world, there are certain uh, norms, uh, certain uh, compromises, or and they're often actually portrayed as uh, neutral rather than as a compromise that are just no longer viable. And uh, we need to rethink what uh, we need to rethink what a viable political community looks like and uh, what that means, and, and confront some of the resulting divisions head on. The, the immigration issue that Nate mentioned is, I think, a very valuable one because I think a great question to ask people who were involved with the Tea Party early on was, what was the Tea Party more about? Was it more about uh, immigration or was it more about um, the so-called death tax on millionaires and billionaires? Mm-hmm. And uh, we got a lot more action on one of those than we did the other. Um, and that's why I think you got Trump is because the base keeps on having to tell the leadership class the right no, we mean it. Yep. We mean it when we say yep. we would like immigration to stop. Yep. And every year, more than any other issue um, that you let pass without solving it, you fundamentally change the character of this nation. Yep. 1.1 million legal immigrants a year, and who knows how many illegal. Yep. Um, and Texas alone will have over 2 million people walk yeah. into the country. Yeah, And that's illegally, on top of, to your point, the million people. And, and it's worth pointing out that we let more people immigrate legally into this country than any other Western country as far as, you know, from a percentage and the amount of people that are able to come into this country. Um, it's an unprecedented experiment in what it means to be a citizen of a country of the last 
thousand years. This goes back to what time we're in, because when when I looked at polling a year or two ago, the average Republican, and I think this was uh, hit on by by Nate and you, and it kind of is another issue that you can see the the disconnect. The average Republican a couple years ago did not believe that we should stop allowing people to legally immigrate into the country. It was always, hey, I want I want a wall and a big gate. Right. I mean, that was kind of the that was the metaphor that was always used to describe the typical Republican um, position. And I would say most Republican voters said, yeah, that's me. And it's just in the last couple of years that you've seen this pretty significant rise. And it's to the point to where it's almost a supermajority of Republicans that say, no, at this point, because of just how much our country is changing, I just want to stop immigration. We need to stop. We need to pause. We need to decide, one, are we a nation? Two, like, do is is this the family? <laughs> and then secondarily, we need to actually decide who are we letting in? Why are we letting them in? Do we have borders? Because if we can't agree on those things, then now we're just, while we're waiting and twiddling our thumbs, the entire thing is being undermined. Um, when it comes to the division that we're at, Nate Nate's argument was that to some extent that the digital age kind of revealed more division. I, I still think I probably wouldn't, quite i i just think we are fundamentally significantly more divided over 15 years on a scale of division sarab do you think we are about as divided as we will get and now it's just about organizing within those divisions or do you think that that division those divisions are only going to increase and what is the timeline for that no the divisions are going to increase because um Unfortunately, again, because most of the American right is made up of kind, ordinary, decent people, um, they still listen when uh, our ruling class and the left says that they're being rowdy, that they're causing the division, that Mm -hmm. they're being tribalistic. I think a big step that we need to get over is recognizing that when someone calls you tribal at this moment in time, it's not a bad thing. It doesn't make you a bad person if you're tribal when the question on which we're determining if you're tribal or not is whether or not we should be injecting seven-year-olds full of testosterone. It's just not. It's not a bad thing. And that's why I think in another era, you know, it'd be, it, it's sort of a tall ask to ask people to sublimate their entire consumer preferences based on their political identity and worldview, kind of like what Nate's doing at New Founding. But it's totally warranted at this point in time. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, it is totally warranted not to give people who hate you, who want to destroy your country, and who want to do terrible things to your children money. It's just not a bad thing to do at all. And so I think that if the right is responsible, if the leaders on the right are responsible, and that the base of the right is responsive, things are actually going to get worse before they get better. Because the lines on the battlefield... Mm-hmm. Um, are, are indistinct. They're fuzzy right now. One side knows they're in a war, the yeah. left, and they're all on one side, but our guys are still milling around. Half of them are over the the line and they could get sniper fire at them at any second. Yeah. Um, and the left's already starting. They're starting at the back of the line and people get keep getting picked off and mm-hmm. our generals who are sitting far behind the line enjoying you know tea and crumpets are like oh don't worry it's not going to affect you so when uh people get banned off of social media when they get unpersoned in american life whether it's alex jones or who have yep. you oh don't worry are you really going to defend alex jones 
Well, guess what? They're just moving up the line. Like they're coming for everyone and the mm-hmm. last people to get eaten. And that's basically what you'd call this caucus of leaders on the right. The eat me last caucus mm-hmm. um, are going to be our ruling class. And I think we have a responsibility to, um, you know, set the set the lines of war sooner rather than later so that we can actually make a plan of attack for victory. Nate. One of the things y'all are recognizing, developing is the need within the divisive culture we're in to have ecosystems and businesses and products and things like that that are are not antagonistic to your worldview, right? Yes. Break it down. These people don't hate you, okay? So you'd rather do business with the people that don't hate you than the people that do. And it's a lot of us have been doing it for a long time, right? I mean, people go, hey, you know a good plumber? And if they're in church, they're often like, is this guy a Christian? I mean, there's just this general idea. Like if I'm going to pay two people to fix my toilet, I'd rather pay the guy who I know goes to church there and has these four kids. And so it's it's basically saying, look, we're to a point to where the money you're spending, you don't even know where it's getting connected. And that's probably another digital age issue where the, the way you spend your money is so different, how much money you're giving to different companies matter. How, what percentage, in your opinion, just you've been looking at this for a while, what percentage of that ecosystem, those businesses already exist and how much actually needs to get created anew? So it's really hard to say. Uh, it, right now, uh, not a lot is clearly aligned. I think that uh, going to your point about the battle lines increasing, mm-hmm. I think that it's going to get far more starkly divided. I mean, yeah. uh, it's... Uh, Ultimately, as the right wakes up to the threat and the way that in many ways the left and their institutions uh, almost enslave them, mm-hmm. they are going to push back and there's mm-hmm. going to be a much starker response. Uh, obviously, you've seen wake up calls, just just the Kyle Rittenhouse mm-hmm. thing, for instance, I think has really woken up a lot of Americans to the point that yep. this is a movement that will try to utterly destroy you if they uh, if they think you stand up and in any way push back against them and I think that's true for uh, that's true for your career it's true for a university mm-hmm. going to a university you are subjecting yourself uh, to the whims of a lot of bureaucrats who yeah. utterly hate you in your way of life uh, in many companies you build a career uh, in a lot of traditional companies called uh, traditional law firms and they will use their power to I mm-hmm. uh, regulate your speech, regulate your uh, public mm-hmm. pro, uh, profile. If you take a stance that is considered uh, offensive or cancelable, you may have your career destroyed. And uh, as people wake up to the fact that they uh, th- that's intolerable, uh, they are going to... Uh, they're going to radically... So it's not just a matter of not wanting to spend your money with people who hate you. I think that's an important yep. part of it. Yep. But really, it's a matter of building your life around a set of institutions uh, that are not going to enslave you, that are not going to destroy you. Mm-hmm. And I think that means uh, that means rethinking education in many cases. It means rethinking a lot of companies. It means, uh, it means taking a lot. I think it means using... Uh, so I'm in Texas for a reason. And I think mm-hmm. that uh, you talked about the commercial side, but... Uh, I know that I'm in a state where uh, my government leaders are not going to be uh, politically rewarded for trying to persecute me, which I think is very likely true mm-hmm. in some of the states like New York and California, certainly, yep. and probably a lot of blue states. That's huge. Uh, that, that means that I have now, will they stand up and fight for me? They should fight for their citizens. I think it's going to take some time before they really, before 
uh, all leaders really recognize the need for that. Mm-hmm. And I don't mean that in the sort of abstract sense, like fight for policies that I care about, but literally uh, fight for their citizens yes. if they are on the receiving end of political persecution. Yeah. Uh, I think that uh, let's say FBI surveillance and other things that is uh, clearly politically motivated is the kind of thing that you want state uh, you want state leaders just stepping up and uh, rejecting that. Uh, so I would say that's a huge. And now I think those same states can really move a lot of companies and really put a lot of pressure on companies uh, within those states. A good mm-hmm. example is laws uh, penalizing companies for vaccine mandates yep. uh, that can ultimately change the institutional forces for companies inside yep. these states so that we don't necessarily need to start every company from scratch, which I think is just Im- implausible, yep. impractical. Uh, so it's hard to say how much does need to be built from scratch. I would say on the digital side, and that's really one space I'm focused uh, the media obviously largely does need to be built from scratch. It's, yep. uh, it's incredibly toxic right now. And uh, what we have is really a radically different vision. But I think that, that that vision can actually help organize a lot of other things. It can really help uh, draw a lot of other things. And then through the, uh, the digital platforms uh, that, that we're talking about here, uh, those can those can organize in and rank information in ways that really change the incentive structure uh, uh, and reverse a lot of what the left has done. I think everything from how how uh, uh, credentialing is is dominated by leftist institutions right mm-hmm. now. I think that's disruptable, and if you disrupt that, it changes the incentives in lots of other uh, systems, all the way down to uh, to schools that uh, where parents just care about success. If they're mm-hmm. uh, if they're chasing sort of if they're chasing a standard set by Harvard, then schools are going to bend in one direction. Uh, if they're chasing a standard uh, set by uh, by something else, then uh, a lot of other institutions will bend there. So mm-hmm. I would say the same is certainly true for businesses. I mean, very small ways that these algorithms rule our life. Uh, think of, uh, so there's a couple. Think of Yelp, right? Yelp will add categories that no doubt affect the rankings of businesses for whether they have gender neutral bathrooms. I mean, those yep. little categories are going to start to shape yep. the incentives uh, at uh thousands of small restaurants Yelper created uh, a page for black owned businesses yes i mean it's yep. uh, all these things are how they use their power they use their rankings their algorithms yep. to uh to, to shape a society uh that can be disrupted i think uh relatively easily partially because their solution just isn't that good uh I, so i'm not as pessimistic as many i think they mm-hmm. because of their dim view of humanity to some extent are not uh as good at creating products that are actually useful. And so there's 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 a lot of low hanging fruit in terms of better alternatives. And that's some of some of what we're working on. Uh, now, there's very, very high stakes decisions uh, where it's really essential that we uh, we build alternatives. And uh, an example I like to use is dating apps. Uh, there's an algorithm that is uh, it's an algorithm that helps determine one of the most important decisions in your life, which yeah. is uh, introducing you to people you may and large numbers of people, both sides are, are finding uh, matches, finding spouses through dating apps. Now, uh, one of the people you will uh, date in many cases, hopefully marry and have yep. kids with. And uh, after Texas passed its abortion law, uh, Bumble and the CEO of Match Group both gave uh, large amounts of money to uh, pro-abortion groups. Mm. And I. Uh, you think about that, you think, well, why does uh, uh, why does a dating company uh, mm-hmm. so strongly support abortion? Uh, makes a lot of sense if you think about it. They're uh, <laughs> they make money when you remain uh, single and yep. and dating. I mean, their their dream for you is a life where you are 
uh, permanently uh, either uh, killing your baby or uh, if you do happen to get married, getting divorced quickly, returning to this sort of life of uh, permanent uh, hookups and dating. And, and that shapes an algorithm that is, uh, I think, even if you say you say you say you want a Christian, uh, mm-hmm. well, it might introduce you to a Christian, but you don't know what their algorithm is really doing. You know that their algorithm, their black box algorithm is designed by people who have the values reflected in their donations after that Texas abortion law. Mm-hmm. That is the kind of thing that absolutely must be replaced. Uh, there's no values neutral way to build that algorithm. There is mm-hmm. a concept of the good that we have, which is the purpose of this dating is to move toward uh, marriage, healthy marriages. Uh, they obviously have a very different purpose. Mm-hmm. Uh, our only choice is to, uh, to have alternatives. Uh, again, uh, part of what a broader healthy network could accomplish. So uh, I, I see spaces where uh, existing institutions can be bent by these algorithms. I see spaces spaces that are sort of at the core of uh, the, the core product is a values laden decision that needs to be uh, uh, that just needs to be run by a uh, company that is friendly. You mentioned uh, when you you talked about how you know I think elected leaders right now you at least know that they won't get rewarded politically for coming after you right and at some point they you will see a shift and i do think as times have transitioned you've seen more of a demand from the average individual conservative minded person to say no 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 no. i need you to fight for me right i mean like there used to be this thing to your point it's like hey live and let live don't tread on me as long as you're just helping the general economic environment go well i'm great i'm just going to go do my life but as people are getting attacked more they're wanting someone to defend them and i was thinking about vaccine mandates i think is the example because i was looking at the i'm sure we've all looked at the glenn youngkin numbers after the election and the largest single group of people that supported glenn youngkin more than any other group was unvaccinated Virginians. So they look at all these different groups, right? And you go, oh, uh, well, white men over 65. Oh, that's a great one. Or, oh, well, white women who didn't go to college, going back to the institution, like they voted for Youngkin a lot more. White women that went to college, they voted for Terry McAuliffe. Okay, so there's these college things. And we're like dividing everything out, right? And realizing that to y'all's point that you've made here, oh, institutions have impact. Oh, parents who have children in public school Move to Yunkin in a 20% margin. That's great. That's because the critical race theory language and narratives don't work well. Do you want to know the single group of people that were with Yunkin from the beginning and that never left Yunkin? Unvaccinated Virginians. And it, it, it was like 93% of unvaccinated people voted for Glenn Yunkin. There's not a single other on the entire chart broken down, not a single group. Here's my point, though. In nearly every state in the nation, including Texas right now, unvaccinated Texans are being fired and they're being rehired by vaccinated Texans. Okay. And so vaccinated in Virginia, I think it was like 60, 40 or whatever. Uh, You know, Yunkin got like 45% of the vote uh, with vaccinated people. Um, I can't imagine a situation where the left would have states where a single particular group of people who was completely dedicated and loyal to them politically, were all getting just completely taken out of their jobs and replaced by people who majority of whom would oppose them would just go along with that for an extended period of time. And we're now in a situation in Texas and in 
rest of the nation in many of these states where, I mean, Montana is the only one that's actually done it. I know a couple of Ohio just did it. Missouri's working on it. Florida took kind of a half step towards that direction. A lot of states are starting to wake up to it, but it's taken months. And I mean, in Texas, you're talking tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people who've just been displaced. You don't get to work here anymore. Um, So this goes to the idea of uh, of our elected leaders, the elected elites. Where do you think the shift is happening with their mindset and the mindset of the actual individuals who not only they serve, but who are required for them to continue to stay in power? Sarab, what do you think? Yeah, I think that um, this vaccine issue has been, I mean, you couldn't invent an issue in a lab better designed to expose all of these kind of latent cleavages that exist on the right right this is like you know there is one part of society that is peeing in the cornflakes of the other part of society and the most that that the the side being aggressed upon ever asked to their politicians was please don't also pee in my cornflakes that's the best (laughs) that they could ask for and and now there there is a case where it's like no i want you to make that person stop and chase them away with a bat and that's that's basically what it comes down to is that People's livelihoods, their kids' ability to go Mm -hmm. to school, their ability to participate in society is all on the line. And it requires conservatives to deeply think about one of their most rigorous pieties, which is, oh, that's a private business. I can't do anything about that. No. And and then the the gratifying thing is, is that it didn't take the base more than a microsecond. Yes. They know. They know. Problem is, is that our leaders don't. You have people like Christy Noem up in South Dakota, mm-hmm. just like mouthing these bromides, thinking they mean anything about limited government and free markets. When yeah. the people of her state, South Dakota, one of the reddest states in the nation, mm-hmm. are asking her to please make sure that their state doesn't render them second class citizens yep. through the corporate power that exists. In yep. It. But her chief of staff is a Chamber of Commerce guy. So sorry, you don't get this because guess what? The Chamber of Commerce runs your governor's mansion. Yep. I don't care which state you're listening to this in. I promise you the Chamber of Commerce runs your governor's mansion other than maybe Florida. Every single yep. one, it's just as bad. That happens in Texas with Greg yep. Abbott's governor's mansion. It happens in South Dakota. It happens in, in every state. And so uh, it's it's a great issue in that sense. It's, yep. it's very useful at exposing these cleavages. I, I wish it weren't the case because <laughs> I think that it's really, really bad for our side. And again, it's totally okay to think tribally. It's really bad when our side is being impoverished and oppressed yes. because of all of these criteria. Um, people need to be almost singular in their demands. And here's the other reason it's a useful issue is because it makes the rights ruling class have to pick a side. Are they picking their dinner party friends mm-hmm. in the left's ruling class who all have a very particular view about unvaccinated people, or are they picking the people that put them in power? Mm-hmm. And for the first time in a long time, they have to choose very carefully. Mm-hmm. You mentioned 9-11. Um, the reason people have this warm and fuzzy feeling about the post 9-11 era is because, yes, it was when a lot of the country was unified, but it was also when the ruling class in both parties was also unified because they were really excited to all make a ton of money going oh, yeah. to war in the Middle East for a decade and a half. Um, and 
what they'll tell you is that the only way things will ever get peaceful again is when you let them get back in a room together yep. to, to to break bread and have a good time. Ultimately, it's it's ordinary people on both sides of the aisle, frankly, that lose out in that status quo. So again, this is this goes back to what I was saying earlier. Things are going to have to get worse before they get better. Yep. And it's not going to be great living in a country where there's this like fundamental divide that's not clean and geographic. It's not like it's just, you know, even California, 40% of the people are registered Republicans. Like this is not mm-hmm. easy, and and the only way out is going to be through. That there there is no neat and clean way this gets fixed. One side's going to win. Uh, I would like it to be ours, and I would like the rights leaders to actually be competent and useful generals in that fight. Because right now they're not. Maybe some of them can change. Mm-hmm. I think some of them have. Yep. Most of them need to be replaced outright. Um, Nate, if. People, if our listeners, if our followers are wanting to um, engage, be aware of the type of work that New Founding is doing, what what are what are a couple things they need to do? Well, the first uh, the first is the newsletter I mentioned, the Align newsletter. Uh, you can go to joinalign.us and sign up for it. Getting ready to send out our Thanksgiving special, and it's a first step. It's a small step, but it, mm-hmm. it, it gives you a opportunity every week to move a few segments of your life over to uh to friends and away from enemies Hmm. and uh the really big one that's going to be very soon is firebrand the media super pack digital media super pack and i think uh there's a lot of things this is doing uh, but uh in a world uh like today people do want a champion that is uh going to speak for them and that is what we're building is uh is an organization that's very adept at messaging and communicating that message effectively in a digital age in a way that will hold Republicans accountable. Uh, it will ultimately fight for, uh, it'll, uh, it'll present very compelling messages around, uh, what needs to happen, what the, what the uh, party needs to do for the American people. Uh, and it'll hold accountable Republicans who fail to do that. And that is something, and, and it'll, it'll use tools that Republicans that the right traditionally are not good at like humor. Uh, humor and uh, mockery uh, to really hold accountable people in a way that they are afraid to be uh, they are afraid to be challenged. A lot of these uh, respectable Republicans uh, value their respectability extremely highly. And right now they let the the left ultimately set the boundaries uh, of uh, what is regarded as respectable and they ultimately will not transgress the boundaries set by the left. And uh, we can uh, we can make sure that that is not a comfortable option for them. So you can check out AmericanFirebrand.com, subscribe to that email list, uh, keep an eye out. We will be uh, putting out a lot of uh, media, a lot of social media uh, in the very near future. Uh, and then more broadly, I think it's a uh, it, it's a stance toward positioning your life, really recognizing that what matters is. Uh, and this is something that I think until the vaccinated, unvaccinated issue came up, a mm-hmm. lot of people thought this was a little more abstract. I mean, a lot yep. of conservatives like to put their heads down, uh, raise their family, focus on their church, focus on their job, focus on maybe building a, a business and uh, very virtuous things and really just mm-hmm. not think about politics uh, like the war that it effectively is. Yep. And uh, and then uh, things like vax mandates uh, came mm-hmm. uh, imposed as much as it's even seen as a private business issue by yep. some OSHA and the government comes in and imposes these uh, and threaten their livelihoods, threaten their kids ability to uh, go to school. Things like CRT is teaching their kids uh, to hate themselves at school. 
Mm-hmm. And uh, it comes, it's come home in a way that I think has made people, many people realize that uh, there is no put your head down option. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I would say just to some extent being attuned to uh, move. Uh, in some cases, it may mean certain sacrifices, but I uh, move your life toward a position that gives you agency and control. And we will continue to uh, develop and present options to do that in many areas of your life, from your buying to your digital life uh, to how you earn your money. And uh, obviously, it's a slow process. It's a process that takes time. Mm-hmm. But I would say uh, actively uh, looking uh, looking to take that approach uh, is something that we will uh, look to uh, be there alongside you and look to uh, to help uh, help organize people toward. And so that's the the broader vision. So Rob, with America Moment, I know there are people in their 20s and their 30s, even older, that are trying to come off the sidelines and figure out how to engage in a more active um, official employment capacity within the swamp. And that is something that y'all have just been um, going gangbusters on. So just talk to anybody who's thinking about that or wondering, uh, and even if they're not, what is it that they could do to engage with what American Moment's doing? Sure. A um, couple of things. Uh, I'll start from least to most important. Uh, we also have a podcast. It's called Moment of Truth. If you kind of like the tenor and tone that we took, that I just took with a lot of these national issues, we we dive deep on each of those uh, every week, um, whether it's uh, family, immigration, mm-hmm. foreign policy, so on. So be sure to check that out. Um, we have on um, guests much smarter than I every week, and it's long form. So it's the sort of thing where if you have some holiday driving ahead of you, uh, sorry, Christmas driving ahead of you, yep. um, you can you can definitely uh, listen in there. Um, more broadly, uh, what our organization exists to do is basically say, look, if you're a person who has the skills that we need when it comes time to govern, whether that's in presidential administrations, whether that's in congressional offices, whether that's in public policy organizations, reach out to us. Um, the bulk of what we do is helping people who are in their you know, late teens and early 20s get involved. So uh, if that's you, great. If that's your kids or your grandkids and you want to make sure that if they do and if they really want to make the trip up to D.C. and I don't blame them for not wanting to, but if they do, that they'll be surrounded by a community of people who think like them, who are true conservatives mm-hmm. and who also live like them. A lot of what we do is trying to build a cultural niche inside a place like D.C. where people of faith can you know, work with people of faith, where people who want to have families young can spend time with people who have families young, for people who basically don't want to spend every single weeknight and weekend uh, getting trashed and doing what the establishment tells them to do. So uh, the easiest way to, to talk to me is because I talk to every single person that we help places. Go to AmericanMoment.org slash join, um, fill out the form, and uh, and and you'll you'll get a Zoom call from me, and we'll talk, and we'll figure out, A, if you're, you're conservative enough for what we have planned, and B, mm. Uh, where your talents are most used. Now, uh, if you're older, let's say you're a lawyer or something like that listening, um, I still encourage you to reach out because uh, there's all sorts of technical skills that we need when when it comes time to govern. And, and really what we're trying to do is just build out these lists of people that we're going to fight very hard to put in next time we get power. And, and we're very capable of doing that. And so um, that's that's the basic. Um, and then more broadly, if you're just curious about what we have uh, going on, just go to AmericanMoment.org. Uh, we put up pieces that are really influential on us, whether it's books, essays, podcasts, YouTube videos, more. Um, uh, you can see um, kind of the broader mission, everything we have cooking, and, and sort of stay up to date with everything we're doing there. Thanks for coming, Sarab. Thank you. Thanks, Nate.
Thanks, Luke. I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Again, if uh, if you care about what's going on, you do need to take a just a little step back and consider what time are we in? What time is it? And um, there is a scene at the end of Lord of the Rings that I've – or not at the end of Lord of the Rings, actually relatively – I think in the first – movie, but uh, Frodo tells Gandalf, I wish I didn't live in a time like this. And um, and he said, oh, so do all who live to see such time. But that's not for them to decide. What it is, what they have to decide is what they do with the time they're given. And that's really what it comes down to. What is it that we're going to do with the time we're given based on the time we live in. So hopefully you enjoyed today's conversation. I enjoyed having it and I enjoyed bringing it to you. Thank you so much. Have a blessed week. Have a happy Advent season. Merry Christmas. Thank you for listening to the Luke Messiah show. This program is brought to you by Scorecard Media. Check out texasscorecard.com to read up on all things Texas. Scorecard Media has other podcasts as well. Yeah, they're not as good as this one, but you should still check them out. Honestly, though, visit texasscorecard.com to see all the content they're producing on a daily basis. If you'd like our podcast to grow, please consider subscribing to the show on whatever platform you listen on and leave a review. That helps others find the content we're producing. Thank you. God bless you and God bless Texas. Texas.